Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. I was not invited to speak today. So you'll have to forgive me. It, it was bound to happen, you know. I'm not really a details person. It was inevitable. And when uh, Pastor Joe called me last Sunday at about, I don't know, 15 minutes after 10, and I'm just kind of chilling there in Queens... I said, Joe, I've been waiting for this phone call for like five years, and it finally caught up to us. So I'm so, so sorry, and uh, you know, your pastors, they were so gracious. Uh, You know, I just felt terrible about missing my appointment last week. They said, please, don't worry, and uh, the Lord had other plans, and uh, anyway, so thank you for your grace and uh, graciousness with me and your forgiveness, Uh, but I'm delighted to be here today. Hey, whatever day it is, we're going to preach, and uh, don't. I am excited about this uh, series that <clears throat> I've been uh, taking through my own people. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name's Tom Richter, and uh, maybe I should explain what all that's about. Uh, I'm a pastor in Jamaica, Queens. My church meets in the evening time. And so years ago, I met the Lechies and have been part of the teaching team here at City on a Hill. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'd love the chance to meet you. And uh, <clears throat> so that means I get to uh, try out the sermons on my own people, and the ones that are good, I can bring to you. <clears throat> And a series that we've really been blessed by, this idea of God delights in. And so, you know, a little tongue-in-cheek, but if God had the social media, what would God press the like button on? What are the things that make God happy? I got the idea because I was meditating on a scripture verse that said, God delights to do something. And I'm reading that going, so like, certain things make God happy? I mean, not begrudgingly, but God's like, oh yeah, I really want to do that. And it kind of stirred this idea, what else in the Bible does it say God delights in? And so uh, last month, you know, we talked about how God delights to give you the kingdom. We looked at Psalms 18, where David said, God delights in me. And we talked about why he delights in his people. And today we're looking at one that showed up over and over again. Something that God delights in. Not just one time in scripture, but many times in scripture. And I'm going to take you there. I want you to start by turning to Proverbs chapter 11. And before I put it up here on the screen, I want to set it up for you. What we're talking about today. That thing that God delights in. We certainly want to know what makes God happy, right? Anytime you're starting a relationship with someone, isn't it foundational? Isn't it fundamental to know? Hey, what are the things that makes this person happy? What are the things that make them sad? What are the things that they detest? And what are the things that they delight in? Very important to know that in any relationship. And it's no less important to know those things when we talk about a relationship with God. We want to do those things that the Bible says God delights in. Now I have to give credit where credit is due uh, even at the outset of the sermon. I was listening to a sermon by a preacher named Craig Groeschel. And Craig Groeschel is a pastor of LifeChurch.tv. And uh, uh, I say that website because one of the things that Craig Groeschel's made really popular is you can go to lifechurch.tv and he puts all his sermons up there on, uh, on the screen. And, uh, you know, you can watch him there. And uh, he got me thinking about some of these things. And, uh, well, let's just jump into Proverbs 11 and I'll show you. I'm, I'm looking through what God delights in. Then I hear this message from Craig Groeschel and it, it all kind of clicked. Over and over again, look at this first one. This is Proverbs 11. There's a formula here, okay? This is like Hebrew poetry, and we're going to see this formula repeated. Here's the first one. Proverbs 11.1. Dishonest scales are detestable to the Lord, but an accurate weight is his delight. Okay? 
Another way to translate that would be dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord. Is that what you're used to thinking of as an abomination to the Lord? And yet that's perfectly fine translation. Some of your English translations will translate that abomination. You could say God hates dishonest scales, and that'd be fine. But an accurate weight is his delight. Really? Like that's the thing he delights. Not an accurate weight like I'm in Weight Watchers and I'm trying to hit that. Not that at all. What he means is in your business dealings, in your business dealings, what he's saying here is a, a, a fair price where you're not cheating somebody. That's what the Lord loves. He loves that. Fair dealings. But it's an abomination, that kind of deceit, that kind of deception. Not sexual immorality, fornication, of all the things, dishonest scales. You think, well, all right, that Proverbs is kind of, Proverbs is a cool book. It's a, it's a favorite book for many, many Christians. Proverbs is, it's hard to preach on a whole section of Proverbs because what they'll do, they're just that. They're Proverbs. So they're these power-packed little nuggets of wisdom, and then they just jump from one thing to another. Proverbs is Old Testament Twitter. It's just 140 characters of awesome, and they move on to the next thing. They're not always sequential, but you see a pattern here. You see, don't, don't quote me on that. But don't retweet that. Proverbs 11 says, uh, 1 says, dishonest scales. Skip down a few verses to 11.20, and he uses the same formula and says it different words, but the same concept. Those with, verse 20, those with twisted minds are detestable to the Lord, but those with blameless conduct are his delight. It's the same concept. Twisted minds could be corrupt hearts. It's the same idea. In other words, those with deception, those who, who deceive, it's detestable. It's an abomination. And yet those who have integrity, those who are pure of heart, those with blameless conduct, those are his delight. Look again at Proverbs 12. Just one chapter over. You just flip over a page. Proverbs 12. Lying lips, same concept, same formula. It shows up three times right there together. Lying lips are detestable to the Lord, but faithful people are his delight. Lying lips are detestable to the Lord, but faithful people are his delight. So over and over again, we're seeing this concept that this thing God hates is lying. It's perfectly fair to say God hates lying, but he rejoices and he delights in truth-telling. Yeah. So I'm, I'm studying this. I'm thinking about how God detests these lies but delights in truth. Then I'm watching this message from Craig Rochelle, and I had to click on it. I, I didn't know what it was, but it was so enticing. The title of his series was called necessary sins and i thought oh i I gotta see this right but a few minutes in i saw immediately what he's saying i said how are you going to preach a sermon on necessary sins you know how could there be such a thing and a few minutes in i I got totally what he was saying and i want to give well so he starts by saying you know there are some sins we all agree are detestable it doesn't matter your cultural background it doesn't matter your morality it doesn't matter how you're raised everybody agrees Right? There, there, there's never murder, rape, and uh, terrorism. I mean, every serial killer, everybody would agree. These are detestable sins, and we all agree on that. Then there are some sins that are, look, they should be detestable, but let's be honest, they're pretty much excused. They're sort of acceptable sins. You know, gossip, probably shouldn't do it. We'll just share prayer requests. You know, uh, you know. Go, go, you should really pray. Did you hear? No, seriously. I'm just telling you this for prayer. But seriously, right? Uh, uh, what, about, uh, what about gluttony, right? You know, I, we shouldn't do it. But in this day and age, come on, how can you, you know, right? And accept, but we all kind of agree there's sins. Then there's another step. Then there's another category. And these are not just sins that we agree are wrong. These are not sins we would say are acceptable. 
Craig Rochelle points out, in this day and age, some people say, these are just necessary sins. And the sin he points out, of all things he could have said, one of the sins he points out, lying. And he says it's become not just a, well, we should avoid it. It's become a necessary sin. And think about this day and age we live in. I thought, think about the place and time where we live. It's just kind of, I've heard people in New York say this. They say, we even have a slogan to defend our lying. And it's, hey, what are you going to do? And, eh, what are you going to do means you backdate that report, right? Yeah, I know the apartment's illegal, but uh, what are you going to do? It means it's okay, right? Everybody, look, I was texting while I'm trying. (laughs) What are you going to do, right? I'm sorry, I was not parked there for that long. It just becomes this kind of lies that's totally, it's not, listen, it's not just acceptable. It's necessary. If you don't want to lose your job, everybody's doing this. How are you not going to, I got a guy who's driving, listen, people say, oh, you're a pastor. There's so much stress. It's a hard job. Let me tell you something. Driving a FedEx truck's a hard job. What I do is easy. And this guy, he's driving a FedEx truck, and they've got certain, they've got to hit this, you know, you've got to deliver all these packages, whatever. He's like, how? I'm in the middle of Manhattan. There's traffic everywhere. You have to double park. When he gets double parked, he gets a ticket. And then he has to go up there, and he has to wait for a signature. He has to get that signature. All the drivers told him, look, just leave it there. Why? Because, bro, you're never going to hit your 95% rate. You have to. He goes, what am I supposed to do? What, what, really, what am I supposed to do? Lying is a necessary sin in that guy's life. He's coming to me as the pastor going, okay, here's some ethics. i got to put food on my table. i got to have a job, but i got to lie to get this job done. What do I do, pastor? And I'm like, we gotta, we got to call our assistant pastor. We've we, <laughs> we got to find out what to do, I, right? I don't know. And so I'm listening to the sermon online by Craig Rochelle, and that's why it's very clear that I want to start the sermon by saying this is not a lot of these ideas are from Craig Rochelle because I realize, like, if I just preach it as my own material, that's plagiarism. And I think in a sermon about lying, I mean, the whole sermon would like blow up or something. Like it would catch fire. It would be too much, right? So go to, if you want to hear him do it, listen to his website. Listen, you know, go, I, I'm, I'm giving credit where credit's due. But I was so moved by that. And I thought, he's right. It's become a necessary sin. You, everybody fudges that little test score, that exam. You know, uh, uh, look, my boss won't believe that. There's certain boss, I got to do this. And then I got to put on kind of this um, uh, image for this boss. My girlfriend will not allow me, you know, I'll just, I'll lose my girlfriend if I tell the truth about this or, or well, you know, in our marriage, we've got a, you know, secret bank accounts and that just, believe me, helps everybody. It's kind of a necessary, you know, this deception uh, uh, with secret email accounts and that, that kind of stuff. Lying is one of those things that it, it, it's become so necessary. And on top of that, can't we be excused? Because we grew, like, nobody, not one of you had to teach your kids how to lie. Isn't that something? They just knew. Like, none of you, not one of you parents, okay, kids, come in. Today is an important lesson. <laughs> Especially if you're going to, you know, stay and live in New York. Uh, you're going to need this. Now, here's, daddy's going to teach you all how to lie. Now, let's practice. No, they just know. And the great thing is they, are, they have so little rational concept that they can't even understand how bad their lies are. And they're just, they're all in. Just last night, you can't make this up. Just last night, I, Carson, my three-year-old son, he's supposed to be in bed. He's supposed to go to bed. We've told him to go to bed. You get out of bed again, you're going to be in trouble. We hear, I mean, my wife and I, we hear trucks going everywhere. And he's got a, you know, plastic drill. You know, he's way on the other side of the room playing with his trucks and everything. I come in there, Carson, what are you doing? Looks at me. I fell out of bed. (laughs) It's such a bad lie that I give him a redo. You know what I mean? Like I pretend I didn't hear it and I'm like, 
there's no way you fell out of bed. Let's try again. And he, but the kid, this is what's great about a three-year-old. He's like, I'm all in on that, right? I, he doubles down. He's like, so you fell out of bed and landed in truck playing position, right? That's what you're telling me. Like 10 feet from your bed. He looks at me, he looks at me as if to say, I'm just as shocked as you are, Dad. I, isn't it remarkable? Like, right? I'm going, who, t- I mean, Jackie may have taught him this, but I did not <laughs> under no circumstances. And I teach again, and yet he knows. And so what we'd say is, look, everybody does it. It's necessary. And not only that, we all came by it honest. And the point of today's sermon on lying is God still hates it. There's no, you can, you can dress it up. You can say it's necessary. And the Bible is still going to say, God hates lying. It doesn't change the word of God, and he delights in the truth. Now, the good news is, of course, we outgrow lying when we're three. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I think about, obviously we don't, and I think about even, um, even, even ministers, right, preachers. I thought it would be too embarrassing to share some of my own stories, so I'd like to share one of um, Craig's. Uh, <laughs> Craig Rochelle, it's, 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 too, it's too priceless not to share. Craig Rochelle tells a story about how he was going to youth group. He was involved in church growing up in Oklahoma, uh, but he wasn't really following the Lord. He wasn't really living the Christian life. He was just going through the motions. And so he was there every week, Wednesday night or whatever, for their youth service. <clears throat> and they had these series the preachers would preach. And the pastor tells them all, hey, for next Wednesday... I want you all to promise me you'll read a chapter of the Bible because we're gonna, we need to be prepared for next Wednesday. And so he says, we're gonna, oh, I'd like everybody to read Mark 17. And I want everybody to read this chapter and get it read and everything. Craig O'Shell says, okay, he goes home, has every intention of reading it. And, you know, he's a teenage boy, just forgets about it, whatever. Comes back the next week, and the pastor says, I asked you last week to read Mark 17. And I'm curious who really did it. Show of hands, who actually read Mark 17. Pastor Craig Rochelle's thinking to himself, I, did, I know I didn't read it. He, he, as he's telling the story, he's like, I don't know what came over me. I guess I just, I don't know. But he just kind of instinctively, he's like, um, yeah, you know, I read it. Yeah, sticks his hand up. And then he looks around, and there's only like, out of this huge crowd, there's only like, there's only like three total, him and like two other people were like willing to, adm- you know, to admit that, that he read it. And now, and this is what's great about sin, now he's feeling like both lying and proud. He's like, you guys didn't even read it. You know, like, not that he did either, but it's like the, the potential for human self-deception is through the roof. Like, however bad you think you are, just add 25% self-deception margin, and you're that much worse, and you might be accurate. Anyway, uh, uh, Craig Groeschel's raising his hand, looking around, and the pastor says, are you kidding me? Just three students? Just three youth? He says, it's not enough that we clap for them. We're going to have them come to the front. Yeah, yeah, and so they all come up there, and you know, and he said, since none of you read it, we're just going to open our Bibles right now, and we're going to read it. And he brings the three up there, and we're all just going to read it. And Craig's looking around like, man, you guys didn't even read it. So let's turn to Mark 17. So he opens it up. Mark 14, Mark 15, Mark 16, Luke 1. <laughs> and the pastor says, there is no Mark 17. Tonight the sermon is on lying. <laughs> like, yeah, I know. I, Best introduction of all time. I mean, if you're the future therapist of those kids. But, like, amazing, right? Gets the point across. Uh, 
it's not just other people. You know, I, one of the, uh, I guess a little bit of the uh, geekiness of my life, this will tell you a lot about the sort of dorky world that I grew up in, but uh, I was part, in high school, I was part of the academic team. This is like Quiz Bowl, like there's a team of four of us that answer like Jeopardy questions. You know, one of the kids are like playing sports, and, uh, and uh, we had two rounds going where you were in one room and the other half of your team was in another room, and uh, I, I don't remember, like a student came late or something, so after the first set of questions, they say, hey, Tom, we need you to go to the other room, and, you know, because this guy's late, whatever, so I walk in there, and I'm about to, you know, do my thing, and uh, we've got my team, mem- and, and they begin reading the questions, and it occurs to me, I've heard these questions before, and somehow, because of a mix-up, the questions, the quiz bowl, you know, Jeopardy type stuff, they were asking I had just heard five minutes ago all the questions and answers. And so I'm sitting there and I didn't know what to do. So I just started answering them. <laughs> all of them. It was like a one-man barn burner. And I'm just, I'm just dominating. Like They wouldn't even ask one. I'm like, square root of two, I bet, is going to be the next one. They're like, that's correct. Anyway, I just own Everybody's like, who is Einstein? And uh, you know, to this day, I look back with uh, such shame. And I, I think... Uh, you know, that's right around the time God was calling me to be a pastor. And, uh, you know, I remember having to confess to the other coaches. And, of course, they're in a circle, like, pointing. You know, you know I'm like, hey, listen, I, you know, I have to come clean. I, I did this thing, and I'm so embarrassed and ashamed. And they were like, you think? You know, you didn't really think you were a genius. And uh, I, I look back on that, and, I, you know, that's been, what, like 15, 20 years. And uh, uh, I still remember that. Like, it was yesterday. And uh, maybe, maybe you have a, a story like that. I, um, I think no matter how you dress it up or how many times you say, well, we've all been there, we've all done it, it doesn't change this fact. God hates lying. I want to show you one more verse from Proverbs to illuminate this truth. I think I've driven home the point, but just to make sure, uh, look at Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. I've got it up here on the screen. The words are a little small, so I'll read them to you. Now, this is Hebrew poetry. They, they do this all the time in Proverbs, also in the Psalms sometimes. It'll say, there are six things the Lord hates, no seven that he detests. I don't know why they do that. That's just a common formulaic thing. There are three things I'll never understand. Nay, four that are amazing. And then the list four things. I don't know. A modern version of this. I am, I'm like four. No, five seconds from Wyland. It's the same concept. There's six things the Lord hates. Seventy to test. Now look. Haughty eyes. Okay. A lying tongue. Hands that kill the innocent. A heart that plots evil. Feet that race to do wrong. A false witness who pours out lies. A person who sows discord in a family. Why am I showing you this? The Bible lists seven things the Lord hates. And two of them are lying. Two sevenths of the Lord. What is two sevenths as a percent? See, the high school quiz bowl guy would have. <laughs> two sevenths of them are lying. That's, it's amazing to me. Of all the things the guy lists. you know. So God hates lying and rejoices in the truth. He delights in the truth, which is why we preach this. This is why I've been in this series. What does God delight in? So for the remainder of my time, I want to close out with these two layers, and they should be pretty simple. We need to examine, we'll move pretty quickly, but we need to examine these two layers. The first layer might be the easier of the two. We'll call it the top layer. How do we lie? How do we lie? And this is not like, oh, good, I was looking to improve my skills. I mean, like how, in what ways, I should say, I should use a better preposition, in what ways do we lie? And then the deeper layer, and to me the one, as as a pastor, the one that's much more interesting, why do we lie? Why do we lie? So first, how do, if you're a note taker, how do we lie? Leave a little space. Why do we lie? Leave a little space. Here we go. How do we lie? Number one, I give you three. Number one, first, first way in which we lie, 
And this one's the most obvious. We lie to each other. We lie to others. Okay? The first one, we lie to others. This is probably when most people think of lying. This is probably the simplest way to think of it. There's a very easy way to illustrate it. I've shared my baggage. I've kind of unloaded my you know, big lie in high school, though uh, uh, I'm sure just scratches the surface. Maybe, I don't know, anybody in here, the sermon hitting home. Maybe you've got <clears throat> anybody in here. Show of hands. Put them up. Struggling with lying a little bit. Anybody? Anybody ever have a story like me? I'm the only one. Yeah, I just want to illustrate. Okay, you know, leave them up. It's okay. Leave them up. I'll show you why. All right, I see like five hands. Here's why I did that. Those of you with your hands up, look around at everybody with their hands down. Now we know who the liars are. See, it's all the people who didn't put their hand up. That's why I did that. See, so there's irony. If you tell the truth about lying, I can trust you. It's you hands down people that I'm, uh, my wallet's still in my bag over there, right? Uh, you get the point. Now, who, um, uh, oh, this, I don't, should I ask this? Eh, why not? I'm not the pastor here. I can leave. <laughs> who, who lies more, men or women? All right, right, right. Okay, now before you start a civil war, right, before you start a civil war, uh, I can, before you, uh, don't worry, the Bible has an answer. <clears throat> the Bible has an answer. And uh, the answer the Bible gives, who lies more, men or women, the Bible would say, yes. The answer is yes. It's everybody. Lying, turns out, is a non-gender specific issue. And according to Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 3, and this is, believe me, I picked out the gentlest part of Jeremiah 9. But as, he's, as, as the prophet's pouring out the judgment of the Lord, he said, here's the deal. Lies and not faithfulness prevail in the land. Can I just... Can I just read just, 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 just a little bit more of Jeremiah 9? I didn't put it up here because it's so heavy hitting. But this is what he says. For they proceed from one evil to another. They don't take me into account. That's the Lord's declaration. And listen to this. Doesn't this sound? Couldn't this have been written yesterday? This is Jeremiah 9. Everyone has to be on guard against his friend. Don't trust any brother. For every brother will certainly deceive even friends spread slander each one betrays his friend no one tells the truth that's jeremiah 9 or you know yesterday listen to this they've taught you ever watch these political shows where they have spin everything spin doctors whatever they have taught their tongues to speak lies like they have studied how to deceive how to market how to make it all better how to protect all the image that's actually a school you can study that and that's Jeremiah. It was written so many thousands of years ago. I just look at that and go, that's timeless. That's, I, that is today. They wear themselves out doing wrong. You know that, right? The more you lie, just w- you end up with exhaustion. Don't you remember Mark Twain's famous quote? You should always tell the truth. There's less to remember that way. You know, because you lie, you have to remember what you lied about and who you lied to. And even if you're not telling real bold lies, you're just kind of managing a certain image around one group. But you're another way around another group. And your great fear is that the two groups will meet each other right? Like you're just out at a restaurant. How oh, my church people? Oh, my work people? Oh, no. <laughs> right? You got a church? What? Right? Church people are like, you got to work? You know, or whatever. I don't know, you know. <laughs> like, you, you, you know, you, you can't remember. You Listen to this. This is all from Jeremiah. You live in a world of deception. That's really true. John chapter 8, Jesus said about Satan, he said that Satan is the father of lies. And Eugene Peterson paraphrases and says, when Satan lies, he speaks his native language. Huh? Because he's the father of lies. And in their deception, here's the worst part. This is what Jeremiah says. And he's speaking as the Lord's declaration. So the Lord says, 
in their deception, they refuse to know me. We're going to come back to that. I said that not being fully open is a kind of lying. Some people would say, well, I don't, I don't tell bold-faced lies. But hiding yourself. A, a, a good phrase to, to, to kind of think about this is image management. In other words, you're presenting, you're not lying necessarily, but you're shading enough of the truth that just the right parts of you show up to others. That can be a dangerous path. Okay? We lie to each other. Let me give you the second way in which we lie. We lie to each other. We lie to God. We lie to God. If you're a note taker, you're jotting these down. You know, there's a chilling story in Acts chapter 5 of Ananias and Sapphira, and uh, it's, at least for me, disturbing. Ananias and Sapphira are part of the early church. You remember in Acts chapter 2 that the early church was so moved by the Holy Spirit, so filled with love, a model of what we should all be about today, that to care for the poor and the needs of the growing church, many folks would just sell entire fields, huge pieces of property. Some would sell all they had and donate to the needs of the church, so filled with love. Obviously, the church honored this, and, and it was a beautiful thing to see. Ananias and Sapphira hatched this plan. You know, we got this field out here. It's probably worth half, I don't know, half a million dollars. Yeah, so, all right, so here's what we do. Here's what we do. Sell the thing for 500 grand, then bring to the church 250 grand, right? And tell them we sold it for 250 grand, and we've given all, right? That way, we get all the accolades from the church, all the pats on the back. God will be impressed. Everybody will be impressed. And uh, the apostles will be impressed. Barnabas will probably get written into Acts. I'm just saying. Ironically, they, they did. Uh, but, but then we still get the 250 grand. You see what I mean? Like, everybody wins. It's like, I can increase, and he can increase too, you know? Let, it, it, it'll be a great plan. They, here's the, the story here in, uh, in Acts chapter 5. Chilling, I think. Um, they, they do that. And here's the thing. Nobody constrained him to do that. Wait, you'll hear, the, you'll hear the words. A man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. However, they kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge and brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. And Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds from the field? And just like my son Carson with his toys, huh, 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 right? And here's the, here's, the, here's the thing. Nobody demanded that you, you didn't have to sell a field at all. Not only did you not have to sell it, you didn't have to give a dime. You didn't have to sell it at all. Nobody forced you to do this. This is what Peter says. Wasn't it yours while you possessed it? And after it sold, wasn't it at your disposal? You could have given any amount. So why is it that you plan this thing in your heart? And here's the verse I put up on the screen. You've not lied to men, but to God. And when he heard these words, Ananias dropped dead. And the Bible says, and a great fear came on all who heard you think the young men got up they wrapped his body carried him out and buried him there's an interval about of about three hours the bible says then his wife came in not knowing what had happened and peter gives her a chance tell me did you sell the field for this price yes she says for that price sealing her own fate and peter said to her why did you agree to test the spirit of the lord look the feet of those who have just buried your husband are at the door and they'll carry you out and sure enough instantly she dropped dead at his feet now this is a this is a, a it's a disturbing tale, but in a world, isn't this the kind of wake-up call that we need in a culture that's like, lying's not only, eh, you know, whatever, it's actually kind of necessary. The Bible says, whoa, whoa, whoa. And the worst part is we start lying to God. It's, it's a kind of image management before God. Sometimes, in a practical way, I'll show you, this shows up in our prayers. God, please forgive me yesterday. 
But, you know, honestly, I was just really exhausted, and Satan just over, overtook me, and, you know, I just, I just really lost that battle, right? What are we doing? We're doing image management before holy God. He knows your heart. You didn't lose a battle. Are you a Christian? The greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. Tell it like it is. You ran headlong with full knowledge. You chose, deliberately chose, disobedience and rebellion to your holy God, who did nothing but love you and save you and redeem you. And to spit on that grace, you chose your own path of sinfulness, knowing it would lead to death, in full knowledge of what you were doing. And for that, you need to be forgiven. To which God says, Oh, now we can talk, see? Because I detest that line. And to lie to God, he made you. He knows you. It is written. You laughed out loud when I told that story of Carson. Don't our prayers look like that before holy God? Oh, God, you, 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 I'm just as shocked as you are, right? Get real, see? And here's what happens. When you start lying to God, when you start lying to others, there's a point where you cross a line. You're no longer telling a lie. You're living a lie. Worst of all, we start to lie to ourselves. I could illustrate this in many ways. The easiest is probably 1 John 1, chapter 8. It's a famous verse. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. A simple way we lie to ourselves is something like this. Well, there won't be consequences. Look, honestly, this is a little sin. There's con- when everybody else does it, there's totally consequences. But when I do it, it's, 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 I'll probably be fine. I'll pro- For some reason, I will not reap what I sow. Everyone else will reap what they sow, and that's just a fact, right? You can read that. I mean, that's in the Bible, or listen to Charles Stanley, either way. You, you, right? you reap what you sow. You reap a little bit later than you sow. You reap more than you sow. You reap a slightly bigger quantity than you sow, and that's how consequences work. You reap, but not me, right? You're lying to yourself. Or if you say, well, it's just a little sin, or, or, or maybe you're sitting here today, an example of self-deception. If you're sitting here today and you're going, man, I have got to get this sermon on podcast and play it for my wife. Or my boss at work, I'll tell you the real problem, it's her. My boss, she needs to hear this online, right? And all that may be possible, that may be true. But don't you see that there could be a little bit of self-deception? Where you're hearing this sermon going, "I, I, I can name six people that desperately need to hear this. Maybe one of those six is, is you. Maybe this message is for you. Don't, be, don't do this. Don't, don't do 1 John 1.8. We have no sin. We're good to go. Addicts do this. That's why the, one of the first steps in the 12-step program talks about denial. I came to realize that I was powerless over my addiction. Stop the lying. And addicts will do this. Nah, man, I, I can quit any time. When everybody else around you knows that's not the case, you have a problem. No, 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 I'm, I'm good, right? Or, or, or always blaming others in a marriage. I'm not the problem, right? he's the problem this guy i married it's him and he needs to hear all this right you're lying about yourself to others before god and ultimately self-deception those are the ways in which we lie as i said i think the more interesting might be uh the why and i told you we would close with the how and the why so here we are at the why portion (sighs) lots of reasons but i think they can be boiled down to the same thing in other words, you might say, I mean, think about the last time you lied. Why'd you do it? Was it to make your life a little bit easier, right? If I lie and can get out of this parking ticket, wouldn't that, wouldn't that make life a little easier, right? And isn't the goal comfort and ease of life? In which case, lying is just a means to an end. We're back to where we started. It's a necessary sin. But a bing lying, it's a thing, right? I mean, we just, it, we do it. What are you going to do, right? 
Or, or did you lie? What about this one? You're a people pleaser and you hate to disappoint others. And deep inside of you, you just feel like I will let them down. If they know the truth about what I did, if they know the truth about who I am, if they know that, I will disappoint you. Preachers do this all the time because we somehow believe that, well, we're, we're on a pedestal or we need to protect our image. And so, right, pastors sometimes are the most guilty of this because I wouldn't want you to think that, you know, I'm a real human. with. We have discovered there are real live sinners here among the righteous. I know, right? <clears throat> what would happen? You see, I want to impress others. What about manipulating, controlling if I lie, watch this, I can just a little bit manipulate you. I can control your perception of me. And that fills me with a sense of power. When my life is out of control, at least I can control how you feel about me. You hear how demonic that is, and yet it's part of why we lie. Some people lie because they just don't want to face the truth. I pretend everything's perfect, like the ostrich when it's being attacked, head in the sand. We're all going to die. Ostrich, safe down here. All good down here in the sand, right? What are we doing? We're protecting. We say, well, I just, uh, distracting. There are no issues. We're lying to ourselves. We're lying to our families. We're lying even to people we love because we pretend. Make yourself look better. Here's, here's what I'm getting at. Here's what I'm getting at. It, all those things, they boil down to the same thing. If I don't lie, I could, if I don't tell this lie, or if I don't perpetuate this lie, or if I don't let people continue to think about this, think about me in a certain way, I, I might lose my job. I might, or I might not advance in my job. I might, my girlfriend's going to straight up break up with me were she to find that out. My relationship is going to be damaged if I find, you know, if this truth comes out. I'm, I'm, what are you doing? What are you saying in all these things? I'm lying, watch this, to protect. And that means all lies have this root, F E. A R fear. Lies, watch this, are simply a symptom of fear. I'm scared of what will happen when the consequences of truth telling come out. That's it. And you think in your mind, hey, you're scared. And let me just for a second be real with that. Some of you are scared about real things. If the con if my truth comes out, like, that's going to be scary. You have fear. I want to honor that fear for a second, but I also want to call it what it is. It's fear. So the question you've got to deal with when you hear a sermon on lying, it's not about lying, it's not about habits, it's about fear in your heart. You have to wrestle with this question. What can save you from what you're scared of? Who or what can protect you? And every time you lie, you make one simple decision, and it's this. You say, my lie can protect me better than my Lord. That's all you're doing. Every time you lie, you're just saying, I'm scared to death, and my lie can save me better than you, Lord. But watch. Every time you tell the truth, you know what you're saying? I trust you, Lord. Come what may, I trust you. Isn't that beautiful? Don't you see why God hates lying so much and why he loves the truth? Because it comes down to trust, and that's what God's after. He loves it. He can sniff faith a mile away, and anytime he sees it, he loves it. Hebrews says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. He delights in truth. Why? Because when you tell the truth, what you're saying is, I trust you, Lord. You can take my reputation. I lie because I don't know. i got to keep my reputation up. But when I tell the truth, I say, you may not like me anymore, but my reputation's in the hands of God. 
If I lie, I may lose my job. God, my job's in your hands anyway. If I lie, I won't get ahead. If you do lie, what is ahead? What's up ahead? What are you trying to get ahead in anyway? Maybe if you, if you lie to get ahead, where you're at, it's like a sign I saw yesterday on the Lower East Side on in front of a church. Is the road you're on going to lead to my house? Love God. You know? Is that path going to get you there anyway? Right? Isn't that the irony? That's the, that's the lie about lies. That's why Satan, oh, right? What he's selling you is not going to work anyway. Everybody knows that. You say, well, if I lie, I might lose my relationship. I guarantee you you'll lose your relationship if you lie because you won't have a relationship. It won't be based on truth. I believe something with all my heart that is probably the title of a country music song. I don't know if it is. You can Google this later. If it's not, please write. Steve, sometime write this song. It's probably the title of a country music song. It has that kind of three chords and the truth feel to it, you know? And here's the phrase. I've heard it before, and I'm telling you, this is exactly what Proverbs, this is exactly what I'm trying to say. And here's the line. Better to be hated for who you are than loved for who you're not. I believe that with all my heart. What do you want? You want to impress people so that they'll love some fake idol image of you? What's that? What do you have at the end of that? What have you gained? Better to be hated for who you are than love for something you're not or someone you're not. You see? Well, I mean, if, if you're convicted like I am by this sermon and you think, I want to leave my life in your hands, I want to trust you would say, well, what do I do? And the answer is, stop lying, tell the truth, right? The trouble with that is, you already know that, right? Isn't it like when you go to a doctor? I already know what your doctor's going to say. You need to start eating better and exercising more. We know that. But how? What's the first step in that? In, uh, in John chapter 8, Jesus made some very very famous statements about lies and truth. I've already quoted a couple of them about how Satan's the father of lies and all that stuff. But this is what he says. This is what he says. He says, it, in John chapter 8, verse 32, do you know this one? He says, if, does he say, let me ask a little quiz. Does he say, if you tell the truth, the truth will, finish it, set you free. Is that what he says? Not exactly. And some of you know this, right? Not exactly. He doesn't say, if you'll tell the truth, the truth will set you free. What does he say? That's right, that's right. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, why is that so important? All this lying lips and trusting in the Lord, we're not going to get back on the right track by just sort of white-knuckle willpower. All right, from now on, I'm going to tell that truth. I'm going to tell it like it is, you know, right? everything. I'm going I'm to do this. Uh, you might do good for 24 hours, 48 hours maybe, but eventually some fear is going to outweigh. So what we need to deal with is not just overcoming a habit, right? We got to go to the we got to go to the root cause. We got to get after that fear, right? You with me? We got what's going to take away that fear? And Jesus said the thing that's going to set you free is knowing the truth. And John says in, in John fourteen six, truth turns out is not a concept; it's a person. Jesus says about himself, "I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me." In other words, you begin to know Jesus. And Jesus does what? Sets you free. Do you see why? Do you see why? I don't, I don't have to manage image. What can the world take away? I know Jesus. And here's what I mean when I say I know Jesus. When he stretched out his arms and died on the cross, you were outed as a liar. You know that? When he poured out his life for your sins, 
any Christian will tell you, if they've been, if they've been born again, I, I, I will not nor cannot deny the worst somebody would say about me. Why? Because that's the whole foundation of my faith. I can't, I'm not righteous. I'm part of these lying lips. I'm, I've, I've, I've perpetuated lies. So yes, it's true. I am a sinner. That's what born again people say. I can't make it on my own. And the cross sort of outed. And, and once you've been outed, it's like, well, yeah. You're suddenly free a little bit. I don't, I don't have to shade the truth. I don't have to lie. Why? Because what I'm trying to protect can't be protected by me anyway. What I'm trying to protect is guarded in the hands of Almighty God. Right? And he can't lose it. And if it's guarded in the hands of Almighty God, I can just bear witness to him and be a truth teller. Because I'm not scared to lose what do you have to lose? Doesn't Bob Dylan say, when you got nothing, you got nothing to lose? He's right. What righteousness am I trying to protect? It's his. What wealth am I trying to protect? Every dime I have belongs to the Lord. My life is in his hands. That truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we confess that you are a God who hates lying, delights in truth-telling, we've been people who have done the opposite instead of truth telling we've lied and with these same lying tongues that have cursed and perpetuated lies and managed our image trying to manipulate others we've taken those same tongues and 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 praised you and uh, sung your praises and witnessed to your goodness so lord we know that those lies are under the crosshairs of your wrath and you will continue to chisel and to work until they're eradicated from our life. God, we pray for your grace and your mercy for us who are knowing sinners, rebels. Thanking you, Lord, that your promise of grace is not going to give up on us. You're going to get us more and more shaped into the image of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that we would know you so much that every day, little by little, bit by bit, we would begin to trust you so much that we don't feel that fear and that need to lie. And that this place is flooded with truth. It's just a truth-telling community more and more. And this truth-telling community would be a light to the world. And they would be engaged, arrested, inspired by a truth-telling community who bears witness, who lets their yes be yes, their no be no, not full of self-justification, deceit, or image management, but just bearing witness to the truth. And more and more people in this neighborhood, around Queens, and around the world would be set free by your great truth. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the good news, which we celebrate now in Jesus' name. Amen. City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.